Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you look at the Bible from the beginning to the end, the Bible is a book about sending. The Bible is full of sending. God sends everything from animals, like Balaam's donkey, to servant girls, to slave boys, to astrologers from the East who don't even really know that much personally about Yahweh, the God of Israel, to prophets and As John says, he sent his own son. From Genesis to Revelation, God has only one plan, and that's it. There's one plan from the beginning to the end of Scripture. And God is constantly sending those who he has redeemed to carry out that plan. John 20, 21 Jesus says this, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The Bible is full of sending. God first initiates an encounter with himself through various means throughout history. Hebrews says that in past times, God spoke through creation. It says that he spoke through uh, the, the prophets. It says, but now he spoke to us through his son and the word God initiates an encounter with him and then he invites those people who he has encountered into his family to be his bride. And then what God does is he sends us to inhabit our neighborhoods all the way to the nations as he sends us into those places back out as we've encountered him and as he's invited us into his family. And then we, in turn, do the same thing. We call people to an encounter with God and invite them into relationship with God. And then we, we encourage them as God sends them to, to inhabit their neighborhoods and the places where they go and where God calls them. See, this is, this, this is the activity of the bride this is how, what it means to prepare for the coming of Christ. This is what it means to be purified, to be pure and spotless and blameless for the bridegroom, Jesus. We are a sent people. And the problem is that so often we think of ourselves as a rooted people. We are not a rooted people. We are not born to be in a place and make a place for ourselves. We are sent into all of these places, wherever you're sent, and we're called to be light and life and point toward Jesus in those places. And there's two critical things about being a sent people. One is 
if you are sent, you have to be obedient. <laughs> Obedience is critical in being sent because if we are disobedient, then oftentimes being sent and being disobedient actually leaves people in a worse state than they were than when you went. And so part of being a sent people is being obedient to the word of the Lord, what God has called us to both corporately and individual assignments that you are given throughout your lifetime. And then the second thing that is critical in being sent in the character of Jesus on the mission of God is compassion. We're not just sent to do a mic drop, we're sent obediently and then with compassion for those who we are sent to. And so throughout the month of January, what we're gonna be doing is unpacking what it means to be sent. Every one of us who calls Jesus Lord and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit is a sent one. And this isn't a new concept. This isn't something new we're talking about. We've been talking about this for a long time in various ways. You see, we live in a time in history where we have access to an overabundance of information. Some of it is accurate and some of it is just purely made up. But, but we, we are some of the most informed people in human history, yet the difficult, the sad thing is that that does not result in being the most obedient people in history. In fact, if you look at the information that we have and the obedience we carry out, there is a probably the largest chasm that there's ever been between those two things. It even seems that the more information that we get as a culture, the less compassion we have on others. You'd think that if we learned more about others and listened more, we might have greater compassion on others. But just look at the rhetoric all around us. There's not growing compassion, there's decreasing compassion. And there's like cherry picking compassion, but it's not even real compassion. It's just a means to an end. See, I, I think what's really important for us to understand is that we need to be reminded of what we already have heard more than we need to be informed of something new. I actually think that's why Jesus crafted communion the way he did. Jesus said, when you gather together, when you gather together with others in this family, he says, do this remembering me. In communion, do we learn anything new? No. It's the oldest, most basic thing that Jesus died for us, gave his life, shed his blood for our forgiveness of sins so that we can have salvation and we can have life. There is nothing new about that message, but Jesus said, this is what you need to remember every time you come together. And in that context of remember, remembering what we've already been told, we have to obey. Because if we don't obey, then what's the point of knowing? What's the point of knowing if we're not going to carry out what we know? But our culture puts a premium on information hoarding and not acting on obedience in that information. And so this morning, as we, as we begin unpacking this idea of being sent, 
I wanna give us two brief examples of two people who were sent, yet they carried about their sentness in very different ways. Jesus and Jonah, both are famous in biblical history. One, because of his obedience and compassion. One, because of disobedience and callousness. But God asked both of them the same basic thing. He gave both of them the same basic task. He said, go to an undeserving people and proclaim my glory, warn of my jealousy and judgment, and invite them into my family to be my bride. That's the basic message that God gave both Jonah and Jesus with varying emphasis. The emphasis for Jonah for Nineveh was God's jealousy and judgment that they are pursuing other gods who are not Yahweh. And so God is jealous of his image bearers. And so he was going to pour out judgment on them. Jesus came, as we read earlier, not to condemn the world, but to, to, to let the world know that there is salvation in him. The full message was there in both with different emphasis. And so we look at Jonah. And around the time that Jonah prophesied, like 787 to 746 BC, what we see is, is a nation that has drifted from its calling. It's the only nation that actually ever had a divine calling, <laughs> Israel. God in, in, in Genesis 12 says to Abram, he says, I want you to go and I'm going to send you and I'm gonna send you and I'm gonna make a great nation of you and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You will be the conduit of blessing for all nations and it'll be your descendants, it'll be Israel that is the only divinely inspired nation that had God as king and they were called to worship and then God would bless all the earth through Israel. But Israel by this time had become so preoccupied with itself that she lost her desire and motivation to be God's kingdom of priests and to be the conduit of blessing to all nations. They were more concerned about preserving themselves than to being a conduit of blessing to all nations. And so Jonah, when God sent him to Nineveh, go to Nineveh, and he's, go to Nineveh. When he sent him to Nineveh, Jonah refused to visit Nineveh because he did not believe they deserved God's love and his forgiveness because they were so offensive and wrong in his estimate, which was also God's estimate. They were. <laughs> in Jonah chapter one, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, arise, go to Nineveh to that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah runs the other way. Here's what's interesting. In, in doing a, a survey of the four chapters of the book of Jonah, here's what I want us to catch. What obeyed God and what didn't? In verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The ship that Jonah was escaping on, the storm obeyed God. <laughs> God calls a storm and sends the storm and it obeys. And as the, as the sailors are on the ship 
and they're concerned about the storm. They wake up Jonah and he comes up and, and they're trying to figure out why because their, their gods are obviously angry in their mind and they're trying to figure out why their gods are angry and why the sea is storming like this. And so they cast lots. It says, and they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and it fell to Jonah. The lots that they cast obeyed God. The casino obeyed God, basically, is what, what we're saying here. Like even the casino obeyed God. The casino doesn't always win. God wins when it comes to that. And so, and so then it says, the sailors obeyed God. They said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And Jonah says, he says, it's because of me. He says, pick me up, hurl me in the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So they tried rowing back to shore and they couldn't get back because the sea was so stormy. And so they cry out to God, the one God of Israel, and they say, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for the sea or for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. So they pick Jonah up, throw him into the water and, and the storm calms. And it says that, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors obeyed God in the story of Jonah. And then as he's thrown over into the water, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly for three days and three nights. The fish obeyed God when God told the fish to do something. And then finally, Jonah gets to Nineveh. And he goes, and, and he goes not with the greatest attitude, but he goes. And he goes and he tells them that God is going to judge them. And, and in chapter three, it says, and the, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast from the greatest to the least of them. And that word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he decreed this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink even water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And so God saw their repentance and he relented and he didn't do what he said he was going to do. So the Ninevites, including the king, obeyed God. It's funny that the king made a decree that even the animals cry out to God. <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but but he did, that's part of his proclamation. Then Jonah sits up on a hill to look at Nineveh as it's not being destroyed and he's all angry and whining. And God, it says in chapter four, it says, now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over jo Jonah that it might be shade over his head to make him more comfortable. The vine, the plant obeyed God and grew where God told it to grow and came and gave shade to Jonah who he told it to give shade to. But then the next day came up, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. The worm also obeyed God in the story of Jonah. And then after the plant withers, it says, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. 
the wind and the sun obeyed God. It's super interesting that in the book of Jonah, the only one that didn't obey God happened to be the person we would most expect that would obey God, his actual prophet. Isn't that interesting that we've got a story of pagans who worship other gods. We've got sailors who are, I mean, probably the typical, stereotypical uh, thing about sailors. We've got worms and fish and plants and the cosmos and the wind. We've got all these things. They are all obeying God and the one who actually knows the most about God is disobeying the best. <laughs> Jonah had more information about Yahweh, the God of Israel, than any of these others, and he obeyed the least out of all of them. And here's what I want us to catch. Jonah shows that the greatest hindrance to the spread of the kingdom message is not persecution or other religious paradigms taking over, but it is the failure and disobedience of those whom God has, who, whom God has redeemed and sent. Let me say that again because I think this is really important for us to recalibrate and refocus our fears of the things around us. Jonah shows us that the greatest hindrance to the spread of the kingdom message is not persecution or other religious paradigms taking over, but it is the failure and disobedience of those whom God has redeemed and sent. When we obey what God has called us to do as those who are sent in our sentness, then the kingdom of God flourishes. We talk about how Christianity is failing in this country. Guess what? Christianity isn't failing globally. <laughs> Christianity only withers where the people of God don't obey. So Jesus, as the opposite of Jonah, they've got some similarities. Both Jesus and Jonah were sent to a people who did not ask or deserve the message that they got. Humanity wasn't crying out for a message from God when Jesus came. The Ninevites were not crying out for a message from a prophet of God to tell them where they were going wrong. Humanity didn't deserve Jesus coming in flesh. The Ninevites didn't deserve a prophet of God coming to their, to their town to warn them of God's judgment. Both Jesus and Jonah were sent to a people who would rather reject or even kill them than listen to anything they had to say. Obedience came at a cost for both Jonah and Jesus. Arguably, very different costs. But it was costly, obedience for both of them. Both Jesus and Jonah were bringing a message that required a response. It initiated the knowledge of the one God, invited a relational response to that one God, and would result in those responding to inhabit the world on behalf of that one God. Both Jesus and Jonah shared that same mantle. And to compare Jesus the way he did ministry in Jonah is gonna take way too much time. <laughs> 
Because to, to really get into the weeds of describing how Jesus did ministry is gonna take too much. So here's the summary. I'm just gonna read one passage and then leave it at that. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to, to his own interests, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now here's how Jesus lived in his sentness. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think that it's ridiculous the scholars and theologians have made commentary on this passage. Because what more do you need to know? <laughs> it is self-evident. It is clear. A child can catch what Paul is saying about Jesus. Humility in others first. Period. God alone <laughs> like it's, it's unbelievable that, that it's just, I, I just kind of think about that. And I think we don't need comments on this. How familiar is that passage to us who have been in church for a long time? And how many of us can say my life resembles obedience to that passage? How many of us could honestly say, yeah, my life resembles obedience to what that passage is teaching? So the question comes down to like, who does my life ladder up to? I don't know if you remember, maybe when you were a child, maybe you're a parent, but you were either read, probably almost everybody was read this, but if you have kids, you probably read it. The, the book called, uh, Who Is My Mother? No, the book, Are You My Mother? Do you remember that book? Are You My Mother? Not Who Is My Mother, that's a different book. But um, <laughs> 
far more awkward. Um, are you my mother? And so it's about this baby bird that can't find its mom and goes through and tries to find its mother. And so this baby bird first asks a cat if that cat is its mother. The cat says, no, I'm not your mother. And then it comes across a hen. And then it comes across a dog. I don't know how the dog didn't eat the baby bird, but that's Again, probably a different story. But then it comes across a cow. And then it asks a car if the car is its mother. And then a boat. And then an airplane. And then it kind of culminates by asking this like construction crane if it's his mother. And the construction train is, is uh, named Snort and is very angry. And, and, and finally, the little baby bird ends up finding its mother that looks similar to the baby bird, it acts similar to the baby bird, and has characteristics that they share in common, and so it finds its mother. Obviously, none of those things that it found were its mother because a bird is nothing like any of those things in its form or in its nature. So I guess the question for us is this, who do we ladder up to? Who's kind of our father in our setness, Jonah or Jesus? Who do we ladder up to? Who are we more like? In your setness, are you more like Jonah or are you more like Jesus? See, our culture is about information more than it is about obedience. And that has in a lot of ways seeped in and defined how we respond to God. And here's how I know that that's true. How many of us, when reading scripture, we read a verse or a passage and we decide that we're not going to move on from that passage until we are obeying that passage in our lives? How many of us do that? We read it and we know it and then we move on to something else without typically obeying what we read. Let me ask this. How many of you would stay at this church if I and the preaching team preach the same sermon every Sunday until 50% of us in this room obeyed what that sermon said from scripture to do? How long do you think we'd be preaching the same sermon? Sunday after Sunday. How about not 50%, how about 20%? Or let's go like the way of Abram and say like, how about just 10% <laughs> or 10 people in our church to obey what was preached and we won't go on to another sermon until 10% of people actually obey what was preached. It's so interesting how often we in our mindset say, okay, I know this, let's move on, yet we don't obey it. That's the way of Jonah. He knew but didn't obey. one of the critical things in the way we are sent is compassion. That distincts us from every other sent one, from any other person or, or being. Compassion, and, and I want you to understand this, compassion means that we love those who hate us, we pray for those who disagree with us, and we meet the needs of those who would just as quickly take away all of our freedoms because that's how Jesus demonstrated compassion. Jesus loved those who hated him. When we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. 
Jesus prayed for those who disagreed with him. Jesus literally met the needs of the very people who took away all of his rights and crucified him illegally. That's the compassion that Jesus is calling us to. We live in a culture that hates compassion. Yet Jesus was the most compassionate man who ever walked the earth. See, Jonah was disobedient and proud. Jesus was obedient and humble. Jonah preached because he had to. Jesus preached because he loved the world. Jonah brought a message with callousness and hatred, but Jesus brought the message of the kingdom with compassion and love that was ultimately costly for him. You see, I think the book of Jonah points us toward a longing for a true and better prophet who has compassion on undeserving sinners, which describes every one of us full stop. And so I think the questions that we have to begin this series of unpacking what it means to be a sent people is this. There's two questions. Is one, does my life look like the obedience of Jesus or the disobedience of Jonah? What does my life look like? And the second question is, in my behavior, speech, writing, private murmurings, do I resemble the callousness of Jonah or the compassion of Jesus? And frankly, both of those questions, I think are, if we are willing to be humble and vulnerable, those questions could be easily answered by the people around us, by them looking at our lives. I don't know how much we're willing to allow that, but I think those are quantifiable. So what does this look like? I guess as I've been thinking a little bit about um, what God's been doing over the last few years and what God's been, what the Holy Spirit's been doing in my life, there's some, I believe, commitments that God has, has moved me toward. And so here's what I want to verbalize in front of this church family and my commitment to us as a church. And that is this, that I will always focus on pointing toward you toward Jesus reminding you of what he said about you and about this life. I will always challenge you to obey those things that God has clearly and repeatedly revealed to us in his word. And I will compassionately ask hard questions of you when it looks like you are mixing your culture into the kingdom Jesus preaches and God has sent you to be priests on his behalf. And I will do this not out of duty or frustration or anger, even even though those are sometimes temptations, but because I love Jesus more than anything else and I love you. But it's gonna be messy because I'm not that good. Here's what it looks like, I think. I care far less about who you vote for and far more about how you live out your sentness and being obedient to Jesus and compassionate toward others, both the family of God and those who are far from God. 
I can make an argument that voting is important. But it's far less important than obeying what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 1 through 13. Sometimes I wonder if my kingdom has to crumble in order for Christ's kingdom to be raised up. We find some solid biblical teaching on that without going very far. Here's the thing. I will not always be right in my assessment or in my delivery of that message. But I will, I commit to being quick to repent in when, I see my, when I see my sin and quick to listen when I don't. Sometimes I will be right in my assessment, but wrong in my delivery or my posture. I won't excuse poor posture or delivery just because the message is right, and I don't expect you to either. But as we close this morning, here's an invitation into participate together in some spiritual rhythms. Tomorrow is the first day of January, 2024. We're inviting the church family to join together and every day read a chapter in the book of Proverbs because we're, we woefully lack wisdom <laughs> in life. And January has 20, 21, 31, 21, 31 days and Proverbs has 31 chapters. So as long as you know which day it is, you can be in the right chapter. I know that's a struggle for some of us but just look at a calendar and join together and read a chapter that corresponds with the day of the month of January. The second thing I wanna invite you into is this. For 2024, I'm going to be reading the book of Jonah and Philippians 2, 1 through 13, once a week, every week. And I wanna invite you into that. And here's why. We must always remember who we need to be resembling. In our sentness, whether it's our neighborhood or in the nations, we have to remember who we are called to be like. And if we have a constant reminder, at least weekly, of how Jonah lived out his sentence and how Jesus lived out his sentence, then we will have a better opportunity to remember what's important and obey what God has told us to do that is so clear and evident. So I invite you into those things. I'm gonna close in prayer this morning. And as we close out, 2023 and step into 2024, even though God doesn't really see that time time in that reference, we tend to. So I wanna pray for us and, and close out this year. So God, thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us this year. Lead us, Lord, to trust and obey you more in 2024. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness to us this past year. Help us, Lord, to love you more and others more in 2024. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power in and through us this past year. Stretch us, Lord, to believe and live for 
you and just live for more over the next year, knowing that you can do all things. And so I thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.